Pergamon. Pliny called it the most famous place in Asia. And I tried to imagine if it was the tourist board, first century tourist board, who was doing an advertisement with pictures and captions to encourage people to go to Pergamum for a holiday, to spend all their money, what would they say about this amazing place, the most famous place in Persia? I, I wanted to have the voice of an advertiser, and I don't, have, I don't think I have the voice, and Ian refused, so... <laughs> <laughs> And it was too late to have, you know how they have this sort of voice? Um, but Pergamon was the place, the place to go if you wanted to have a good time. Pergamon, the economic capital, voted the most strategic location along land and sea for trade. A city of a centre of commerce and great prosperity. Pergamon a religious centre, home to the massive, dominating Acropolis uh, at the top of a massive hill that stood over the city. Pergamon, the political and religious capital, the seat of the Roman government in that area, the first imperial cult centre in the east. That's where it first happened. Pergamon, the centre of worship, of gods and of emperors. Pergamon, a place, a center for medical treatment where the shrine of Asclepius um, existed, the god of medicine, where people went to get healing. Pergamon, the center for magnificent entertainment. Look at that as a theater, looking across this massive vista, the massive nature of um, Pergamon's huge choice of things to do and things to see. Surely if you were going anywhere on holiday, anywhere to spend your time, anywhere to have a good time, you would go to Pergamon, the most famous place in Asia. Have I sold it to you? Jesus says to the angel of the church in Pergamon, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. And I imagine that little church there, listening to this letter that Ian has read to us. And I'm sure they didn't do it, but in my imagination, they wrote a reply. A reply to John. And this is what they might have said. Dear John, greetings from the brothers and sisters in Pergamum. Thank you so much for the letter you sent us with a message from Jesus. We can't, believe, we can't begin to describe how moved we are to be reminded that he knows where we live. He understands the situation we're in as a church. The risen and ascended Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, actually knows where we live. 
He sees beyond the magnificent buildings. He sees through the political and economic grandeur. He sees the pride of the multifaceted religious machine for what it is, the throne of Satan. Very few realize that, but we do. We felt its force and threat. We've experienced its evil power. We still grieve for the martyrdom of Antipas. We still speak of how he refused to bow the knee to Caesar as Lord. His widow and children are a constant reminder of the loss we all feel. <clears throat> it means more than anything that Jesus sees us and knows where we are. We're so grateful for this encouragement. We're so moved by the acknowledgement of our weakness, which needed so much courage that at times we didn't feel we had. We felt very small, very overwhelmed. The name of Jesus is our hope and we've clinged to it. But this knowledge of Christ is a double-edged sword. It's mightier, much mightier than the sword of the empire that we feel. It cuts through our self-deception. Its truth reveals our wrong. We feel how sharp it is. We have stood firm against external pressure, but we've tolerated internal compromise. We've become wobbly and uncertain in the everyday economic and social challenge of being faithful to the name of Jesus. The guilds to which many of us belong for business all include sacrifice to the gods. Perhaps having suffered so much by making a big stand, well, the little stands seem less vital. After the trauma of Antipas's death, Antipas's small-scale idolatry didn't seem so important. After the steadfast witness we maintained against this powerful government, it, it seemed okay to permit a little compromise with our colleagues. As we ate the food and mined some, some pagan rituals, we knew in our hearts we weren't really worshipping the emperor. We, we felt it was a, another battle. We, we didn't have the energy to fight or insist that our members fight. And we were so focused on being strong where it mattered, we turned a blind eye to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And I'm not sure if we made the connection with the Old Testament story of Balaam either. We didn't see the repetition of Balaam's strategy to curse God's people, not through words, but sexual temptation of foreign, idolatrous women. We ignored some immorality. Pastoral sensitivities left us impotent. We didn't notice that we, like Israel, were proving unfaithful to God through subtle sedition. Dear John, please pray for us as we respond to Christ's message. I think that for some, saying no to this all-pervasive culture will be so, so hard. The might of government, the cost of intolerance, the pull of sexual desire are so powerful. But many of us long to be faithful. We want to have ears for God. We crave to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. In what often seems like a, a wandering in spiritual wilderness, we are hungry for God's heavenly manner. 
We long for the bread he gives, which satisfies far and above the pagan feasts and the many seductions of Pergamon. What we are offered in him is so much more than we are offered as a compromise. And this white stone you write about, that touches our hearts. We use them all the time here for admission tickets to public entertainment. To picture a stone with a special name, we enter into an intimacy, the deep knowingness that Jesus has of us. We want to remain true to him because he's giving us a new name. We have access to him by his name, a name spoken in love. Dear John, pray for us. Love the brothers and sisters at Pergamon. A few weeks ago, Ben Crane, who was a student a few years ago, 10 years or more, came to visit, and perhaps some of you saw him. And he brought with him a couple of CDs that he has um, produced. And there was one song that I have played and played a hundred times. It's a song that prays that the Holy Spirit will come upon us. And perhaps today the theme of our services morning and evenings has been the church, the body of Christ. And how we need God's Spirit to come upon us. Just as um, 2,000 years ago, the people in Pergamon, God's people in Pergamon, needed to hear the Spirit. We do today. And so I'm hoping, just as we close and as we come to communion, that we listen to this song and perhaps make it our prayer. Perhaps.
we finish, I want to have just one thought from this. John says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Michael Wilcox, in his commentary on Revelation, has this very uh, helpful quotation. Our soft-centred, permissive society can be curiously hard on those who refuse to go along with it. And he talks about sometimes we um, persecute those who refuse to bend. And we, the, um, the society can be very seductive, enticing <coughs> us to worship its idols along with worshipping God. And I wonder, tonight, what is the Spirit saying to this church or to the church that you come from? As we see in all, all these letters, we have a sort of, um, what's the word, three points quite often um, that are uh, made in these letters. And one is affirmation. What might be God's affirmation to us? What is pleasing his heart about um, this church here or the church that you're from? What are the things that you thank God for? Uh, in, the, in, in the church what might be the spirit's uh, correction the things that need change so often we notice other people's compromises don't we rather than our own we have reasons why we compromise but other people compromise and it's interesting that here John sees that this taking food offered to idols is wrong in this situation in our mornings, we've been looking at Romans, where Paul says, I think it's okay, um, but perhaps for weaker people, you shouldn't. And it reminds us, doesn't it, that in so many issues, there are not clear-cut things, that there is a context to the big questions that we have, and that often requires uh, <coughs> debate. Many of the international students with whom I work are from Asia, and for many Christians, the whole thing of ancestor worship is a huge issue. That this is um, Millie's home in Taiwan, and it's a special room that her mother tends every day. And there are the names of the ancestors, they honour them, but it's actually a little bit more than that, it's also worshipping them. And um, especially new Christians, perhaps going back to families if they've come to faith here, what do they do? How do they show respect for their ancestors, for their, for their grandparents and parents without compromising their faith in Jesus? And there's a lot of debate and disagreement uh, among Christians. One of the lovely things that I experienced when I was in Taiwan was meeting little David. David uh, was only about seven or eight and his mum was a Christian but his father wasn't. And David had a real heart for God. And his mum told me, she said, um, his father will never become a Christian because he needs to tend to the ancestors. He's the oldest, he's the only son, he will never become a Christian. David was the only son, but he said to his grandfather, when you die, I will be sad and I will cry for you, but I won't worship you. Huge stand for a little boy to make. How do we help our brothers and sisters across the globe with these sort of issues? And part of being in a multicultural church and town is that we really can gain from the insight of people from other cultures. 
They help us where we are blind to the issues that perhaps we compromise. What are some of the areas, I wonder, that we're compromising in our churches in Britain? What might the Spirit be saying to affirm us? What might the Spirit be saying to correct us? And I wonder what is God's promise to us tonight? Perhaps something for us to debate and talk about another time. But important, important things to think about. What is the Spirit saying to us? He knows our church. He knows us. And he has words of encouragement, words of correction, words of promise for us tonight. Amen.